time, Miss Eo. Your scripture today comes from Luke 15, 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, his son of, but when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thanks, Amanda. You may be seated. My name's Heather. I am one of the pastors here, and it's glad to have you all in the building. Just going to move this. Oh, doesn't move. It's the story of the prodigal son, a parable. Some of you learned more about parables this morning as you took the class from Lydia, always good to have a bit of Sunday school, wouldn't you say? Um, and we've been in this story of the prodigal son for the last few weeks. And the prodigal, we're calling it the prodigal sons because there are two sons in this story, the older and the younger. And it is a story that Jesus tells. And as we listen to this story that Jesus tells, we're asking ourselves, does our gospel, and by gospel I mean good news story because that's how the etymology of that word is, word is broken down, does our gospel or good news story, does the good news story that we tell ourselves, that we tell about ourselves, that we tell about God, that we tell about others, does it sound like the one that Jesus tells? And so today, I want to ask you a question as we begin. What is the story you've heard 
about being lost. What is the story you've heard about God in relation to lostness or God and others when it comes to lostness? Maybe in terms of hearing it in a religious space, like a church or some other place that's religious. It may be related to your family of origin. Maybe you heard a story about lostness there or a tradition that you came from or even the culture at large. I think that that story is often negative. And lostness practically means distance. Something's lost, it's distant to you. And there are stories that we hear and stories that we tell about what distance from God and others means. And as Jesus tells this story, this parable, what becomes apparent to me is that God assesses lostness maybe differently than we would expect. And so we know the story. We've heard it multiple times. But just as a recap, we have one son who takes an inheritance, goes off to a far land, and then comes back. And we have another son who stays home but is in a field and has his own experience when the other son comes back. And we've talked about both of them and how potentially we identify with one or both of them. And today we're going to talk and look, about, look at the father. And the last words of the parable are words of the father. He speaks these words and they kind of end the parable. And he says this, verse 32, But we had to celebrate and be glad. The brother of yours was dead and is now alive. Again, he was lost and now he is found. When the brother takes all of this inheritance and goes off to a distant land, the father describes the son as lost. And is what is most striking to the father is that the son is lost or dead to them or away. Not that this son is misbehaving or that this son needs to be corrected or punished. That is telling and important. Because, verse 20, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with tender love for his son. He ran to him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. Before any apology or knowledge of attitude, He was filled with tender love and ran and embraced his youngest son. 
And so the story that we're reading or the story that we're hearing that Jesus told is that the Father is willing to be profoundly insulted. This oldest son has dishonored his father at the deepest level. He's wished him dead. I want you to give me what I'm owed at your death. I wish you were dead. And this son has cost him. Cost him animals and land, what they're living off. And so this son has cost them livelihood. They've lost the ability to make profit or, or provision off what this son has squandered in a far-off land. So the son has cost him provision and livelihood. And the son has likely cost him some communal humiliation. The son's actions in that culture and time are legally, like you can legally permissibly like kill your son. The consequences of actions like this for a child in this culture at this time would be death. So there is likely some communal humiliation that is at play here. It's cost him humiliation. And the son wants more epic. When he runs out, he wants to come home and be fed by his father. Right? That could be desperation, but it could also be entitlement. We don't know. However we interpret what we think the son's about in this moment is um, interpretation. We kind of read into the story. Is the son desperate? Is the son entitled? But it doesn't seem to matter to the father. The father is willing to be profoundly insulted and wants to celebrate. <laughs> That's what the story is saying. There's no wrath in this story. Just a robe, the best robe, a ring, shoes, a fattened calf, and a celebration. Those are all symbols related to belonging. The Father is giving back place and agency and honor with these gifts. What do you think about the character of the father in this story? There's no wrong answer. If you want to tell the person next to you. What do you think of the character of the father in this story? It doesn't have to be positive. But maybe it is. Jesus is telling this story in mixed company. We read the final verse of this text, and at the very beginning, the, the 
the text opens with this. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were whispering among themselves. They said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What do you think they thought about the character of the father in the story? This father who is willing to be profoundly insulted and celebrate. The teachers might not have been too happy about the story. The older son, as we saw last week, finds the celebration hard to stomach. The celebration is offensive, right? As soon as the older brother hears how his younger brother is being honored, he is furious and he does not go into the party. And when he doesn't go inside, again, there is distance in the family. The older brother may be close, but he is not near. He's distant, lost. There's a lack of wholeness, and the father never likes that. And so I imagine that, you know, the father's looking around the party and the older son isn't there. There's another lost son. And the father is not dismissive or impatient, which is also important. Verse 28, the older brother became angry. He refused to go in. So his father went out and begged him. His father came, in another, in another translation it says, entreated him. And the synonyms of the Greek word here are to encourage and to comfort and to invite. The father goes out to the older son and encourages him and entreats him and invites him. Stands near. The father stands near. And what we're learning about the Father is that the Father wants to be near. And that if we are lost, we are wanted. And for some of us, that's deeply comforting. That when we're lost, we're wanted. That the Father wants to be near, that's comforting. And we should sit in that comfort. Be glad of it. But for some of us, nearness to God means something totally different. And it's okay to be close, but don't ask me to be near. Because we have other stories. They're a little louder than this one. And to be near means we need to be on our best behavior. To be near means that we can expect wrath and fury when we make a mistake. 
To be near means that we are likely a disappointment. Because we've understood to be lost is to be bad and unwanted, to be shunned. And to be near is to be uncertain. When will, be, when will we be seen as bad and therefore unwanted? Jesus is telling us a story about a father who is willing to be insulted, dishonored, receive anger and indignation, and who is compelled to run and to celebrate and to stand near. That's the story that Jesus is telling here. And as I was reading this story, I had to write myself a few questions. What do we do with a father who is more generous than we expect or want him to be? What do we do with a father who sees children as lost rather than misbehaving or entitled or angry? What do we do with a father who is wildly excited about being near to each other and is not focused on punishment and behaviors? What do we do with a father figure like that? We don't know. I don't know what to do with a father like this. I don't know what to do with a father like this when I don't know what to do with generosity. I don't know what to do with a father like this when I feel the impact of someone else's actions. I don't know what to do with a father like this, especially when I believe that being near requires me to receive something I don't think I deserve. Or offer something I don't think I have to give. What do we do with a father like this one in this story? And then if this is the father, is the expectation that I or we be like that father? And it may be that some of us really identify with the Father, and it's likely that many of us might. You, in the face of costly decisions, costly decisions to you, made by someone else, you see the other person, and part of you wants to welcome them, to welcome them back. And then you, like the father, start to absorb costs all over the place. 
you experience and absorb the cost of something akin to lost inheritance and humiliation. You feel the pain and absorb the anger and grief and fear in being harmed. And you're the one that holds tension as you stand between people and conflict that threatens to tear things apart. And it's dissonant and it's taxing. And this dissonance is often part of our lives. It's in our families and our histories and our culture. And we are left with what feels like a dilemma. Do we give infinitely? Feels like then we would burn out catastrophically. Or do we, do we banish humans that we've loved who've harmed us? Or even humans we haven't loved who have harmed us, but we still know their intrinsic values. The, option, the only option we have is to like banish them. Or do we just keep receiving both in conflict and kind of keep absorbing all the costs on either side? Because if we identify with the Father, or we are expected to be like the Father, this isn't sounding like very good news anymore, is it? Not such a good news story after all. But what is striking in this story is that the good news, the fa- the good news to the Father is restoration. Wholeness. And restoration can sound awful if the thing that you've only been doing is giving because it kind of feels like the thing you have to keep doing is giving and it makes you want to vomit a little bit. But the Father's story is rooted in wholeness where there's no longer dislocation or a sense of fracturedness. The bible word for that is shalom. restored wholeness or peace. So with this story that we're looking at, the question that we ask is, how does restoration or wholeness become good news to me or good news to you? And Jesus is telling a story about true goodness and the party the family, the situation isn't whole without all of them. And to the father, wholeness is worth having even if it's costly. To the father, wholeness is worth having even if it's costly. And the cost The cost is to everyone in the story, to differing degrees. But the cost is to everyone, and that's just the reality. Harm has been done. 
and harm needs to be healed and how it is healed is a matter is a matter of restoration and wholeness and justice and if our notion of justice is punitive that someone needs to pay or be punished which it likely is because that's a lot of how our justice system works it's punitive it's a lot of how Christian stories are told. And it's actually often how we feel when we've experienced an injustice. You cost me, you owe me. And if that is our frame, then we're left at a little bit of a loss with this father. I was talking to my friend Steph about this. Um, she's a theologian. She's also a mother. Um, she's a great chit-chatty partner. And um, we were talking about, she was talking about mothering and ways of being near to her own children. She reads a lot. And so she was reading, she's reading a lot because she's like being a mum is like a challenging situation how to be a mother is a challenging situation and so as we're talking she was talking about reading different things and she's like there's an authoritarian way where there's rules and obedience and the expectation is as I set these rules like there's obedience to these rules and like that's she would say in terms of doing her reading there's like this authoritarian way to be near to her children and then there's a permissive way where it's a lot about withdrawal. You withdraw a lot in the kind of permissive way. And then she said there is the way of affection. And if, I was, if we were chatting like in person, I would have just like smiled at her. But we weren't, so I just smiled on the phone. The way of affection. Jesus' story tells of a father who embodies the way of affection. And affection is what drives restoration in this story. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with tender love for his son. He ran to him, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. What's that? That's the language of affection. When he restored him back to belonging with gifts and celebration, that was affection. And when the older brother became angry and refused to go into the party, his father went out and begged him, encouraged, invited, got near, affection. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. It's affection. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours, not just this son of mine, which is how the older brother had referenced his brother, your son. The father responds with this brother of yours. Affection. It's affection that drives the father, compels the father towards restoration. 
And it shows up differently based on circumstances, based on the sons who are different. It's an affection that isn't controlling or coercive or wrathful. It's not prescriptive with a certain set of predetermined stipulations because affection is attentive. These are different needs here. These sons are different. An affection, they've experienced life differently. And so affection is attentive, individually attentive and collectively attentive. And the father is attentive. And attentiveness means that there's space for all kinds of actions. And I love, love, love that Jesus leaves this parable open-ended, brilliant. I mean, I just think it's brilliant. Did the older brother go in? Or did the older brother ask the father to bring the younger to him? Did the older brother ask the father to slaughter another fattened calf for him? Kind of hope so. Did the older brother suddenly realize and lose his fear and frustration and anger and run to his sibling? What did it take for him to say, my brother, that had a welcome in it? We don't know. We don't know. Did the younger brother say, I'm sorry? I'm so sorry. Did he offer to give the older brother something? Some more space? Some more time? His own celebration? Let's get a party for all that hard work. We don't know. But what we do know is that the father was attentive. And that attentiveness meant space for all kinds of actions. For distance and for waste and for celebration and for distance again. And for anger and for fear and for resentment. An attentive affection is about mutuality. And interacting and improvising and building together and taking care of each other. And the Father exhibits that knowing that wholeness is better than dislocation, but not being demanding about the way back home. This affection is about mutuality and interacting and improvising, taking care of each other. And the Father exhibits that attentive affection, knowing that wholeness is better than dislocation, but not being demanding about the way back home. This father that Jesus is talking about is willing to be profoundly insulted and celebrates with restored belonging, gives back place and agency and honor This father 
that Jesus talks about wants to be near. And if we're lost, and there are lots of reasons we might be lost, sometimes grief causes us to be lost. Sometimes disappointment or a broken spirit means that we feel lost or that we are lost. Sometimes our own behaviors make us lost, make us feel lost. Sometimes our shame covers us and we're lost to it or to fear or to fragility. And wherever we are, it's okay to say. It's okay to name. Because if we are lost, we are wanted. If we are lost, we are wanted. To the Father, wholeness is worth having even if it's costly. Restoration and wholeness to the Father, worth having even if it's costly. And the Father in Jesus' story is attentive with affection. And life is experienced differently. We've all experienced life very differently. And affection is attentive to that. There's no one way home. Affection knows. Affection knows your story. Knows your place, knows your history, knows your family. And affection is attentive. The father's affection is attentive. The stories that we tell ourselves are important because they speak to our identity. And in this moment, you may need space to consider who or what has spoken a story that makes it difficult to desire to be near. You may need to wrestle with this story, the parable, the one that Jesus tells, and the ones you've been told or heard or internalized. And it could have been from a person in authority. It may be the stories that you tell yourself about yourself or about others or about God. And you may need to wrestle with this story next to those stories in order to take power out of one of them. Because stories are powerful. They speak to identity. And so hold the stories that you've he heard. Hold the stories that you've internalized next to this story.
and see if there is one story that needs to have some power taken out of it. It's not worth having. In a moment, we're going to come to this table. It's a feast table, a party table. Every week we come to this table because Jesus asked us to eat together and in eating together to remember, to remember the story, the story that Jesus tells, one of restoration and wholeness and welcome. And celebration. For you sevens in the room, you're really stoked on that. Missio, God celebrates us. And God wants us. Wherever we are. Let's pray. Jesus, your story is wild. I think it's a lot wilder than the stories that we've heard, the ones we tell, the ones we believe. And so today, Spirit, would you wing a bit of this into our hearts, as my grandma would always say. Wing it in. So that our identities are certain and held, and secure, and so that we can speak that certainty and heldness and security over others. And as we come to this story, I mean, as we come to this table today, would you allow stories that aren't reflective of this one to lose some power today? Give us the ability to believe how wanted and loved we are, Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.